Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. This podcast is designed to hold space for honest conversations. From purity culture to faith, sexuality, relationships, identity, culture, deconstruction, and more. My hope is to look doubt in the face, be curious, seek God, and ask meaningful questions to address any elephant in the room with openness, nuance, and grace. I won't pretend to be an expert and definitely don't have all the answers. And though it may feel easier and more comfortable to exist in the black and white, I invite you to discover God with me in the gray and unexpected spaces. So whoever you are, whatever you do or don't believe, you are welcome here and have a seat at this table. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes. So each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And while you're at it, if you feel so inclined, leave us a five-star rating and written review. It would be so helpful to get our message out there. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host, Kat Harris, and a special shout out and thank you to Newsstand Studio here at One Rock Center in New York City. Thank you for sponsoring and producing this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. You can follow along with what Rockefeller is up to on Twitter. That's at Rock Center NYC or over on Instagram at Rockefeller Center. And fun fact, a lot of the pictures that you see on the Rockefeller Center Instagram are mine. How fun is that? All right, it's been a hot second since I have actually recorded from Newsstand Studio in Manhattan, and I am in here today. Joe, have we recorded an episode in person all year yet? Is this the first one? First one. First one in 2022. Here we go. I am, which means I am in the legit podcast studio and not coming to you from my closet. So this is going to be a good episode. We have literally had to record this intro, I think, six times because I keep messing up. And we're just going to keep rolling with it. All right. Before we get started, I want to take a second and give a thank you also to my Patreon community. If you are part of my Patreon community, thank you, thank you, thank you. It is such a fun space. My favorite space online to build community. It is where I have the most raw and unedited version of myself and my content. If you want early access to ad-free podcast episodes, you can find those on Patreon. If you want access to my free online monthly coaching calls, you can join Patreon. And there are also over 50 Patreon exclusive videos and interviews that literally, when I say exclusive, they're only available to my Patreon community. So if any of that sounds fun to you, Come play with us over on patreon.com slash The Refined Collective. It is $5 to join, and it's just a blast. Now, this episode is really fun because it's something I've wanted to do for a while. You know, I've had a podcast for four years now. Four years ago this March, I started The Refined Collective podcast. And one of the reasons I started a podcast is because growing up, I always listened to the radio as I got ready in the morning. And I loved hearing when callers called in with their questions and listening to what the VJs had to say. And so this episode today is my version of that. If you follow me on Instagram, you know, every Monday I do Mentor Monday. 
You guys send me your questions and I respond in 15 second intervals on IG stories, which, by the way, is really hard to answer super nuanced and layered questions in 15 seconds. It often feels unfair because life and questions are usually a lot more gray than we like to give them credit for. So I figured let's do a podcast episode where I am answering your questions. And this is the first time that we are integrating a new software called SpeakPipe, where you literally got to send me an audio file of your question, and I'm going to answer it live on air. So I don't know, maybe I'm just geeking out over technology, but I feel super excited to have your voice on this podcast. If you want to submit your question for next time, because yes, we will be doing more Ask Cat episodes, you can go to speakpipe.com slash TRC. That's speak, S-P-E-A-K, pipe, P-I-P-E, dot com slash TRC. All right, let's get to it. Hi, Kat. So my question for you is, how do you handle um, like family members and friends and people in your community who would probably look at some of the views you now hold because of your deconstruction and say that you um, like aren't a Christian anymore or that you're just like spreading lies and heresy? Like I know you've mentioned it before that a lot of Christians have said that, but how do you handle like when family members say that maybe your views on like women or sex um, or just any topic are not Christian and kind of question your faith? Ah, Sydney, that is such a good question. I wish that you were here with me so I could sit down and just have a conversation with you. And every time I re-listened to the question, I laughed out loud at the part where it's like, what do you do when people call you a heretic? (laughs) I'm like, I feel like it's like the Salem witch trials over here. So first of all, to clarify, my family members don't really comment on my faith. And I don't know that I have anyone in my family that has expressed any sort of concern over my spirituality, where I am or where I am not in my faith and my Christianity. So that has been actually helpful. It doesn't mean that maybe some of them don't think that, but I didn't grow up in a largely Christian home. And in fact, most of my siblings, well, all of my siblings, we're all on different parts of our spiritual journey. And I think we all give ourselves and each other the permission to be on that journey. So when I am, when I experience that sort of like judgment or people calling me a heretic, or maybe I'm not a Christian anymore, it's usually not from my family. And it's also primarily not from my close friends, the people that are walking with me and living in step and breath in real time with me aren't the ones that are throwing tomatoes at me. (laughs) In that, there are, I would say, a few groups of people that have expressed concern over my salvation, over me, quote unquote, spreading lies, being a heretic, all that stuff. And so I'll cover that. I would say the first person that I received the most judgment from is myself. Me 10 years ago, me 15 years ago, when I was a Bible major at Dallas Baptist University, would definitely be concerned about the salvation of 36-year-old Catherine Harris. I thought I knew all the answers. I thought I was right. Oh, man, I was that girl who would literally get in fights with people if they were not 
total Calvinists. <laughs> like I remember thinking I couldn't date this one guy because he was an Armenian. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't even worry about it because it's a lot of judgmental theological crap. All that to say is a question that I asked myself actually the week my book came out last year. So April, the week of April 21st, 2021, I asked myself, what if I'm not a Christian anymore? And it was the first time I really let myself say out loud those words. It was like the question that I wasn't allowed to ask. And I judged myself, or I would say my younger self judged my current self for being in that place. And my response to my younger self was, maybe I'm not a Christian anymore. Or maybe I'm at a point in my life where I am a more authentic, honest version of myself and version of Christianity than I've ever been. Either way, I don't think that God is scared, threatened, or afraid of the process that I'm on. So I think the first thing I have had to let go of is my own self-judgment. Do I have the permission for myself to be on a journey? Now, I will say in the deconstruction journey, things that have been super painful have also been people that I once used to be close to or places, churches that I used to be close to that I'm not close to anymore. For example, I used to be super involved at the Village Church in Texas, and Matt Chandler's teaching over the years has highly influenced my life. It was one of the reasons I went to Bible school. Matt Chandler was the first person that I ever heard say, or the first pastor I ever heard say to not take a pastor's word for it. He was like, don't just take what I say about the Bible as truth. Like you do your work. You seek the heart of God. You read your Bible and figure out what's true. That changed my life. And I want to honor him and and honor that church. Now, recently, Matt Chandler, you may have heard, went viral on Twitter for a soundbite from one of his recent sermons that basically said, in essence, if you are currently deconstructing your Christian faith, what that really means is that you've never tasted the grace of Jesus. So he's pulling from a Calvinistic theology of basically saying like, you can't lose your salvation. So if you quote unquote, walk away from your faith, you never were a Christian ever. And he has since kind of recanted that comment and given some nuance to it. But that's something that has been hurtful to be like, wow, this place that I was so involved in at one point would now view me as someone who never was a Christian because I am doubting and asking questions about my faith and theological tenets that I used to believe as gospel truth, but don't necessarily believe that anymore. And part of that is because of taking heed of advice that that same pastor gave me to not take his word for it. I think the painful part of what Matt is saying is that it dismisses the pain that people have experienced in the church. And it really dismisses that relationship with God as a relationship. Relationships ebb and flow. There's highs and lows. There's times where you feel passionately in love with a person and another time where you don't like that person or you're thinking about divorcing your partner or whatever. So I think it really dismisses a lot of the nuance that is in relationship with God. 
Now, moving on, I would say the next category of people that I get a lot of hate from are strangers on the internet (laughs) who have no idea who I really am and or people who are not willing to engage with me. So for example, when I experience a ton of hate online or DMs saying I'm a heretic or watch out for Kat Harris, she she's leading people astray. The first thing I think of is myself. I know that we judge in others what we judge in ourselves. And so if someone is at a place in their life where they feel like they need to spew venom towards a stranger on their internet, then I know they're only spewing out a tenth of what they're spewing on themselves. When I see judgment on others, I know that that person is first judging themselves and probably having a really hard time. So as much as possible, I try to take it with a grain of salt. And then I also get people in my life who I used to be very close with who are unwilling to engage with me. For example, I had an old Bible study leader reach out to me a couple months ago, and she sent me a screenshot of a podcast graphic that I had posted on Instagram stories. It was a graphic from the episode I did with Tiffany Bloom on scripture being used to weaponized to oppress women. And the graphic said something like, are we using scripture to oppress women? And she screenshot me that graphic and sent it to me. And she said, I think you're out of alignment on this. I think you've, you've missed the mark. And my response to her, who I have not talked to in years, by the way, was, hey, how are you? I miss you. How are you doing? And then secondly, did you listen to the podcast episode? I knew the answer before she even responded. And the answer was no. She said, no, I haven't gotten around to listening to it yet. And my response was then, hey, after you listen to it, I would love to have a conversation with you. And she then responded by sending me a few sermons from her church that she thought would be helpful if I listened to, which I just said, thank you so much. So often what I found is people who have the biggest sort of hate and resistance towards me are first hating something in themselves and two, not willing to do the work of really listening to what I'm trying to say. They've made a judge, they've cast a judgment, thrown a stone before they've paused to really see me. So in all of that, I, I try not to really let that sway me. I would say the people who express concern about me that I listen to are the people that have relational equity with me. So for example, Years ago, when I was deconstructing about the sexuality conversation, one of my best friends pulled me aside and was like, hey, here's the deal. Not everyone's going to understand this. Not everyone's going to understand what questions you're asking. It's going to feel really threatening to a lot of people. But here's the picture that God gave me about your journey. She said, God gave me this picture that you have been living in this house and you have this bedroom and you've been playing dress up and imagination and building forts in your bedroom. And it's been really fun and you've grown and had these beautiful experiences. And then one day you got up and opened your bedroom door and realized there's a whole house. And so you started playing in the different rooms and you found there's other people in the house that you can play with. And it's been fun and exciting. And then you found a door that led outside 
and you cracked that door open and went outside to play. And everyone in the house freaked out that you left the house. They think that you abandoned the house, that you betrayed the house, that you're never coming back to the house. But what they don't realize is the house is on a property with rolling hills and vines and mountains and ponds and lakes and rivers and apple trees to climb up. And there's so much room to play and grow and explore and to have adventure. Yet the people in the house are afraid that you left the house. She's like, you're still on the property, okay? It's okay if other people don't get that. And so I've really taken that picture to heart during this faith journey of mine over the last 10 years. So in that, the final thing I'll say is that we all have blind spots. So anytime anyone says anything to me, I want to show up with a posture of curiosity. Is there something I'm not seeing? What do I feel really right about that I could feel wrong about? Because every opportunity is an opportunity to grow if I choose it to be. Do I want to grow? Even if I think the other person's wrong, am I willing to listen? Am I willing to doubt? Can I have space for myself and others to not know the answers? Where I really want to be is more comfortable with letting myself and you be on whatever process and journey that you are on knowing and trusting that God is bigger than our doubt. God is bigger than any path and journey that we are on and God is with us. So that is my response to you, Sydney. I could keep talking about this for a long time. I've already talked about it quite at length, but let's see what our next caller has to say. Hi, Kat. My question is around when to bring up conversations about faith compatibility in the dating process. For context, I am a Christian. My faith is important to me, and I would like to get married in the near near future. So looking for somebody who also shares, sorry, similar faith values. And I do generally look for men who have listed themselves as Christians on the app, but of course that can mean a lot of things. And I don't generally ask them about it on the app because I feel like it's more of a date conversation. But I also sometimes find it hard to bring up earlier on in dating because I'm trying to strike that balance between having important conversations that would determine our compatibility, but also keeping the early stages of dating like light and fun. So I was just wondering what you think about how to bring up this conversation as well as other conversations around major compatibility points early on in dating while balancing that with still having fun. Anna, this is such a good question. And first, I want to reflect back. What I hear is that you're ready for a serious relationship. You're ultimately looking for a dating relationship that will lead to marriage. Your faith is a high value to you, and you want to be with someone who shares your faith. And another high value for you is playfulness and lightness. So I want to acknowledge all of those things. It sounds like you're really clear on what you're looking for, what some of those non-negotiables are for you. I think that's great. Clarity is key when we step into dating. Now to address a couple of the questions that you brought up, you say typically you only swipe on people who list themselves as Christians on the app. I get that. I understand that. I have primarily done that myself, but let me share with you two stories. One, 
One of my best friends is dating a guy who listed himself as agnostic on the dating app. Historically, she would have always swiped left on that because her faith is super important to her and she wants to be with someone who shares her faith and shares her love of God and Jesus. But she thought, you know what? I just want to give this person a chance and see what it's like to be with him. So they've been on, I would say, probably close to five dates at this point and in getting to know him and getting to share her heart with him and listen to his heart, he has actually opened up that he grew up a Christian. He was actually on staff at a church for a really long time and actually has felt super burned by the church and doesn't want to work in the church again and has been deconstructing his faith for the past few years. Now, until talking to my friend, he made the assumption for himself that that meant that he's not a Christian and he doesn't believe in God anymore because in his church setting, he was taught, if you doubt, you're not a Christian. Yet in building a friendship and relationship with my friend and her unpacking her deconstruction journey, he realized, oh, wait, yeah, what you're saying, that's what I believe too. I guess maybe I'm not agnostic. And I still do believe that there's power in Jesus. And I do love Jesus. I just do not want to be a part of the evangelical church ever again, which is really fair if you've experienced a lot of church trauma. And I'm not saying they're going to end up together. I'm not even saying that they're going to end up in a relationship together. All I'm saying is that it's really interesting what happens when we actually give someone the space to be where they're at in their journey and to share their heart with you. Story number two, a friend of mine, super involved at her church, super committed to her faith. I mean, like hardcore, this girl like loves Jesus. Over the pandemic, she matches with a guy online who is not a Christian. And within their first date in person, she says, hey, I just want to let you know that my faith is super important to me. I'm a Christian and I long term, I want to be with someone who is pursuing God and that that is a value for them. And his response to her was, I've just never been to church. My family didn't grow up. Christian. My family didn't grow up talking about spiritual things. He was like, I'm not necessarily opposed to Christianity or church. I just have never really been exposed to it, but I'd be open to learning and experiencing that if you're open to me being on that process and journey. And so she was open and they started dating. They have great connection. They're compatible in all these other ways. Long story short, in the time of their dating, he starts going to church. He develops his own relationship with God on his own accord, gets baptized, and now they're engaged in getting married. And so ultimately, can you be open to the unexpected? And I'm not saying flirt to convert. I'm not saying date someone with an agenda that they will change to be the person you want them to be. But do we have space for life and dating and love not to be as black and white as we once thought? And I think even approaching it this way could be really helpful for those of us who are deconstructing our faith and who are asking a lot of questions, because maybe you're like me and you don't know where you fit on the spectrum of church and Christianity. I know I still love Jesus, but most of the people I connect with online that say they're Christian, I'm like, I feel like we read different books. So I understand only wanting to swipe on people who are Christian, but perhaps 
you're limiting getting to know really incredible people. Now, the next thing I hear is, you didn't ask it, but this is what I heard. It's like, you're kind of trying to figure out when dating, like what brand of Christian are you? And often I think that we are looking for a spiritual clone instead of someone who has a heart posture towards knowing God, mind, body, and spirit. Just because someone doesn't go to the church you go to or is a part of a different denomination than you are a part of or experiences God in a different way, maybe you're more liturgical and intellectual. Maybe they're more feelings-based and charismatic. Those things aren't bad. Do you have space for a person to explore their relationship with God in a way that feels honest to them? And can you let go of your attachment to having to have someone who is spiritually the exact same way as you? Now, Back to the question of how do you know if you're actually spiritually compatible? I actually think the number one thing to look for in a partner, yes, is your faith and alignment, but what's underneath that? I think the number one thing is to look for a person who's committed to growing, someone who has a growth mindset, someone who has a posture of humility, who is willing to say, I might be wrong about this, and this has been my experience up until this point, but I am willing to listen to where you're coming from. I am willing to have a different experience than the one I'm comfortable having. Is this person curious? I think curiosity is one of the most beautiful things that we can have in our lives. In fact, Jesus invites us to be more like children. What does that mean? I think it means to approach life and yes, even our faith and spirituality with a posture of curiosity. So if you're getting to know a person and they're committed to growth, they are humble and curious, you're getting to know someone who's a really great person. Now, finally, how can you bring up major compatibility points while still having fun? Well, I'm going to say it this way. In December, I dated a guy and I just made the commitment. I'm just going to go on dates with this person and I'm going to take serious off the table for the first few dates. I just want to see if we can have fun together. And guess what? We had so much fun. And in us having fun together and laughing and going dancing and going to concerts, what happened? The serious stuff came up naturally. I didn't have to force the issue. What we love comes out of us in our actions and in our words and in our conversations. So how do you bring up major compatibility points while still having fun? What if you just focused on having fun and trusted that the serious stuff will come up naturally? I recently heard a matchmaker, Alessandra Canto, say, when you go on those first dates, pretend like you're going on vacation, like go into vacation mode. We often treat dating like job interview mode. I have to ask these questions. I have to see how they're going to answer this problem solving tactic. Just have fun. Just have fun. How are you when you're on vacation? You're like, I'm just going to have a drink. I'm going to go dance. I'm just going to have a laugh. I'm just going to have good time. My suggestion, give it five dates and see who they unfold to be over time and not just in resume job sound bites. We're humans, not resumes, and we're humans, not a math problem. So first and foremost, maybe put the major things to the side for a little bit 
and see if you can just have fun with this person. The author David Brooks in his book, The Second Mountain says, marry the person you can talk to all day long. The best thing you can do is be fully yourself and be willing to let this person in front of you unfold before your eyes. We show people who we are and what's important to us by how we be, not just by what we say. I used to take apple cider vinegar shots every morning to support my immune system and digestion. But to be frank, the burning sensation that would happen whenever I did, well, let me just be real. It's a very aggressive and not so yummy way to wake up. (laughs) Now, I still want all the benefits of apple cider vinegar without the gross shock of the taste. Well, great news is that Paleo Valley makes it easy for me to get all of the healing properties of apple cider vinegar into my daily diet without the fuss or the burn with their ACV complex. I take the capsules every day to support my overall health. And in case you didn't know the benefits of apple cider vinegar, let me tell you a few things that it does for your system. It helps increase metabolism, improve muscle performance, regulate appetite, and offers great support for your digestion. Did you know that by increasing the acidity of your stomach, you will digest food fully and absorb all the nutrients it has to offer? And with Paleo Valley's ACV Complex, you're getting more than just the benefits of apple cider vinegar. The capsule also contains healing spices like turmeric, cinnamon, ginger, and lemon. Y'all, all the good stuff. Go to www.paleovalley.com and use code CAT15 for 15% off your first purchase. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com and use code CAT15 for 15% off your first order. If your partner walked into your life today, would you be ready? Last year, I felt more ready for love than I ever have before. It wasn't until I dated someone I really cared for, only to have it not work out, that I was able to see I still had some deep trauma that if left unhealed was going to keep me from love. I had some work to do. You see, sometimes we date when what we really need to do is find a good therapist. On the flip side, sometimes we don't date because we expect ourselves to be perfect. Fear of failure and rejection keep us paralyzed from putting ourselves out there. Here's the deal. We'll never be 100% ready. At some point, we have to get out there and go scared. But how do we know when we just need to go for it versus when we need to pump the brakes? Well, a few years ago, my friend Stephanie Mae Wilson created a free quiz to help us navigate these exact questions. It's called, Are You Ready to Meet Your Person? The questions, insights, and action steps she shares with you in this quiz transformed my own dating life, and I truly believe they'll do the same for you. You can download it for free at stephaniemaywilson.com slash cat. Again, that's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-M-A-Y-Wilson.com slash cat, and that's K-A-T. Let's go ahead and get to the next question. My question would be for those of us who are just starting off on their own small business journey. Um, really enjoyed the last couple of episodes you've been talking about starting your own photo business. Do you have any pieces of of advice you would tell yourself um, as you were going through that journey um, and anything you tell 
people looking to begin their photography business in this current climate? I love talking about business. So thank you for asking this question, Hannah. As much as I love talking about faith, sexuality, dating, I have been a business owner for almost 15 years. So let's talk about it. Tips to start your own business or things I wish I would have known when I started my business. Number one, treat it like it's a thing before it's a thing. I treated both my photography business and the refined woman basically as a glorified hobby for the first few years of its business. And I never would have said that with my mouth or my words. I believed my photography business was a business. I believed the refined woman was a business, but my actions spoke otherwise. So here are are a few things that I would have done differently to treat my business like it was a business from the get-go. One, I would have legalized my business from day one. I'm talking LLC or S-Corp. I didn't open up a bank account for the refined woman until last year. That was eight years into my business Treat your business like it's a business. If you don't take yourself seriously, other people won't take you seriously. In alignment with that, what's your why? Simon Sinek says that everyone knows what they do. So as a business owner, you know what product or service you offer. Some businesses know how to do that well. Very few businesses know why they're doing what they're doing. It's the leaders and companies and businesses that know their why that have the highest yielding profits and results over the long haul. When you don't know your why, you don't have a framework of what to say yes and no to. And what can easily happen when you're an entrepreneur is you get into reactivity mode. So you're just responding to the everyday fires as opposed to pausing and saying, okay, Is this email really in alignment with my why? Or is this project in alignment with my vision? Is this potential client really a good fit? When you don't know your why, you don't have a framework and support system to help you make yes and no decisions that will actually yield results in your business. And you could, like me, get into a habit of only responding to all the fires and then get six years into your business and think, why do I have no idea what I'm doing? Why do I feel burned out? Why have I lost sight of where I'm headed? It's because I never really stopped to look where I wanted to go. All right, I would also have hired a business coach pretty much from day one. I didn't hire a business coach until about nine years into my photo business and about five years into the refined woman. One reason why I didn't hire a business coach is because I didn't think I could afford it. Now I know I can't afford not to have a business coach. I can't afford not to be investing financially into myself and into my business. A huge breakthrough for me was I was talking to one of my friends who I can't remember if they worked for Merrill Lynch or Goldman Sachs or something like that. And they were like, oh, my HR company is paying for me to go to Tony Robbins. And then another friend, oh, my company is paying for me to get my master's or my company 
paid me on the clock to read this book called Atomic Habits. And I said, you are allowed to read a book on the clock? Isn't that personal time? No. In corporate culture, if you're working for a good company, they want to invest into you, invest into you as a person, as an employee. They want to make you a better human so that you can yield results for them and so you can be loyal to the company. And I realized as my own boss, I was not giving myself permission to grow and I don't know what I don't know. As entrepreneurs, we are often on an island by ourselves and we're just throwing spaghetti on a wall all day trying to figure out what is going to work and what doesn't work. It does not have to be that way. You can hire outside help. You can get other perspective. I will say now at this point in my business, I can't afford not to have a business coach. I am currently paying thousands and thousands of dollars to have a business coach. And it is every week holding me accountable to my vision, to my goals, and giving me outside perspective where I have blind spots. Now, I'm not just saying this because I offer coaching, but I do offer coaching. And if you feel stuck in your life and career, let's talk. You can hire a session at refinedwoman.com shop. Other things you can do is connect with other entrepreneurs. There's websites like meetup.com, or you can Google on Eventbrite, local entrepreneurial meetups. You can meet with other entrepreneurs and ask them questions. Everyone is in the same boat, and most entrepreneurs want to help each other. When you approach networking events with a posture of, I'm here to serve, I'm here to build relationships, and not just, what can I get out of this? You'll be shocked at how much you can grow by just being a friend to other entrepreneurs. Two more things I have to say to what I wish I would have known or tips to starting my business or your business is don't chase the elusive social media following carrot. I can't tell you how much of my time I spent trying to build my Instagram thinking that at one day I would reach this magical number that would instantly help me get all the clients I want or all this money. Social media is important, but it's not the main thing. I met a girl last weekend at a conference who has less than a thousand followers on Instagram and hosts the type of retreats that I want to host that I have not ever hosted because I thought my following wasn't big enough and no one would ever sign up. I have 60,000 followers on Instagram. She has 500 and she got 25 people to sign up for a retreat. And I just thought, wow, that is such a good reminder. Popular does not pay the bills. When you know your why and know what you want, that's going to help you get the clients that you want. So yes, social media is important. It's important to show up, especially as an entrepreneur, but it's not everything. And finally, I want to say to my younger self and to you who are interested in starting a new business that it's okay to have multiple streams of revenue. You are not a failure if you have more than one job. In fact, the average millionaire has seven revenue streams. I thought the refined woman was a failure for so many years because I still kept up my photography business. Now I see my photography business as such a gift. It's this other revenue stream that I have that I know I'm really good at taking pictures. My clients really love me. I can show up, do a good job and leave and know that I have money in the bank, and that relieves some of the pressure for the refined woman. Now, the refined woman 
does make money, but it doesn't make even 50% of my gross. And I used to feel ashamed of that, but now I'm like, oh, if millionaires can have seven streams of revenue, I can have multiple streams of revenue too. So what I'm also saying is that it's okay if you keep your day job until your side hustle is sustainable enough for you to leave your job. There's this lie that we have to quit the nine to five and pursue the entrepreneurial life. Don't do that if it's going to make your life more stressful. All right. The second question that Hannah asked is how to begin a photo business in this current climate. I will give you two things to do. And also this can be transferable to really any business. This is just marketing 101. Number one, create your ideal client avatar. Who is your ideal client? What's their name? Is it a man or a woman? What's their age group? Where do they live? How much money do they make? Are they college educated? Are they trade educated? What do they wear? What are their favorite brands? Are they a coffee drinker or a tea drinker? Why are they your ideal client? Why are you the person to serve them? What do you have to offer them? Get as specific as you can, teasing out who your ideal client avatar is. And from there, you can reverse engineer your marketing plan. Knowing your ICA is what I call it, ideal client avatar, shows you which people, places, and companies to build relationships with, where you should be placing ads, who you should be putting those ads in front of. So before you do anything, who do you want to serve? Why do you want to serve them? And don't just say, my message is for all people. Marketing 101 is you want to back yourself into a niche corner, okay? Like, Yes, my message is for everyone. And also specifically, my message at The Refined Woman is primarily for women of faith who grew up in a some sort of Christian context, who have a posture of curiosity, who have growth mindset, who are primarily college educated, that want to grow and learn in their dating, sexuality, and faith, and personal development. So as specific as you can get with this person, then you can know how and where and why to serve them. Number two, after creating your ideal client avatar, practice, 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 practice. Do test shoots. Test shoots are your best friends. How did I get my photography clients? I first knew my ideal client avatar and then thought, what type of photos would they want? And then I built entire photo shoots around serving my ideal client or getting my ideal client. So for a long time, I really wanted J. Crew as a client. So I would scour J. Crew catalogs and I would recreate shoots and find shots that I love and I would buy clothes from J. Crew and get friends to model them and then I would return the clothes and I would just practice, practice, practice and ask other photographers for feedback. The more you can get your camera out and practice and hone your craft, put in your 10,000 hours do that. And then also in your practice, assist other photographers. My first, oh my gosh, six, seven years of shooting, pretty much all I was doing was assisting other photographers. Don't let your pride get in the way of your growth. 
don't ever get to a place where you think that you are too good in your career to be assisting other people. I, to this day, learn the most when I'm assisting and working with other photographers. So if you want to start a photo biz, create your ideal client avatar and practice, 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 practice. All right. I hope that is helpful. Hey, Kat. First of all, thanks so much for doing this Ask Kat series. I think it's amazing. Um, I think you're amazing. And I am just thrilled with this idea. I think it's going to be really awesome. So my question pertains to how do you navigate this tension or gray area of feeling like God is putting something on your heart, but it's different than what your quote unquote Christian community tells you that you should be doing or what's best for you. I think there's a huge emphasis in dating on dating in community and um, calling on the advice of people around you, which is valid. But I guess I'm just thinking about um, this previous relationship that I um, was in, but broke up with the guy a few months ago. We were together for three years and he did not fit the quote unquote evangelical mold of the type of guy that I should be marrying. Um, he's sort of a baby Christian, um, but acts more Christ-like than any Christians my age, but he doesn't fit a certain mold. So how do you navigate working towards that reconciliation while also hoping for the respect and admiration of the people around you that love you and support you? It's kind of tough. (laughs) Thanks. I have so many things to say. And right off the bat, I'm going to reflect back to you something you said. You said you're hoping for the respect and admiration of the people who love and support you. If that's what you're looking for in your life, you're never going to get it. And I actually think that that's a kindness from God that you are never going to be able to get the full approval of every person in your life or every mentor or every person that you respect or who leads you. You're right. Calling on advice is valid and gaining external wisdom is important. And you're never going to please everyone. And if we live our lives trying to gain the approval externally of everyone else around us, we are going to be living in bondage for our life. And we are going to be bypassing opportunities, special, unique opportunities that God has for us because we're afraid of stepping outside of the box. You are a child of God. You hear God's voice. And it's okay if someone you love and respect doesn't understand that. There might be an invitation for you in this to let go of fear of man, of being in bondage to the approval of others. I struggle with this deeply. So I know it's easier to say this than do it. But this is the biggest thing that stood out to me about your question is you sort of being a slave to the respect and admiration of the people in your life. Because when you talk about this person, the first question I have is, oh my gosh, why did y'all break up? Sounds like he was an incredible person. And I think another question I have is, since when is being new to your faith a deal breaker? Don't we want to be with someone who values their faith and who is seeking God on their own accord? Why does a time frame have to be connected to that? You're right. I'm sure that this guy that you dated 
probably acted more like Jesus than some people who have been in the church their whole lives. Look at the fruit of someone's heart. Look at the fruit of someone's life. And it might look different than the quote unquote Christian mold. And to that, I say F the mold. And look at the life of Jesus. What was Jesus always doing? Jesus was ruffling the feathers of the religious people. He was pissing the religious people off. And he was constantly breaking through the box of what everyone in the church thought he should be doing. This is why Jesus was saying things like, you've heard it said this, but I say to you this. This is why the Sermon on the Mount was so controversial and profound as Jesus was giving new meaning. So I say, follow the ways of Jesus and burst through the molds of what everyone else is expecting you to be and do. And I'll end with this. Years ago, I started doing meditation and I started doing yoga and more than one person in my life expressed massive concern for me. In fact, I quit yoga and meditation for several years in my life because multiple Christian mentors in my life told me that meditation was sinful, that yoga was sinful, that it was demonic. And I wanted to submit to their authority in my life because I thought perhaps they knew more than me. Maybe there's something I'm missing. There is wisdom to perhaps being open to this being a blind spot for me. So I gave up yoga and meditation for a few years. And then I really got connected with my heart. I really spent time seeking God and felt really a ton of freedom and permission and desire to continue those things. So I started yoga and meditation again, and I've been doing them for years. And still to this day, I get judgment from that and unsupport from people who I really respect and admire. But this last weekend, I preached at a Christian conference and I led three meditation sessions for Christians. And it was one of the most powerful experiences of the whole day. At the end of the day, dozens of people were coming up to me saying, thank you so much for teaching us that you can love Jesus and also connect with your bodies and God through meditation. If I never would have listened to what God had put on my heart all those years ago that I had freedom in this area of my life and I just made myself a slave to the expectation of others. Not only would I have missed out on freedom that God had for me, potentially hundreds, if not thousands of people could have missed out on that breakthrough as well. So you seek God, you listen to God and be willing to step outside of the box, perhaps of what other people expect you to be and do. Kat, what's up? I didn't realize that I would have to record my voice, but here I am. I am curious to know how you think about tithing and giving, uh, especially after your story with Christianity and the church and how uh, that has changed and evolved over the years. I am about to start a new job, which I'm super pumped for, and will have more means to give, which I'm really eager about. Um, but I'm curious to know, what are your thoughts on tithing? Where do you tithe? How, do you just give to the church? How do you kind of think about that? Thanks for all you do. Bye. Years ago, when I lived in LA, I went to Mosaic Church and the pastor Erwin McManus would talk about tithing in this way. He would say, generous people change the world. He would say, I've never met a greedy world changer. And so if you want to give to this church, great. 
If you don't want to give here, if you don't feel led to give here, great. Be a generous person. Feed the homeless person on the street corner. Give money to a friend in need. Find an organization that you're passionate about and give your time, money, and resources to it. And his approach to tithing really impacted me because it was the first pastor I ever heard that I didn't feel manipulated into giving money to his church. It seemed as though he trusted God so much that he knew the money would come. And so I really adopted this posture of generosity. So whether or not I'm involved in a church or whether or not I am a Christian or not, I still identify as a Christian, but I want to be a person who is generous. So that can look like taking care of my community. For years, my friends and I have supported each other. When I lived in LA and didn't have a lot of money, there were some months that my friend and her boyfriend gave me their quote unquote tithe money because they knew I needed it. And there's been times when I had a friend who couldn't afford a flight home for a funeral and I had that money, so I gave it to her. How are you taking care of the people in your world? And then you asked, where do I currently give my money? And I feel hesitant to share this info, but I will. I currently do not go to church, so I don't give my money to a church, but I support Compassion International. I support Equal Justice Initiative, which is Brian Stevenson's organization on prison reform. I love that nonprofit. I support a ministry based out of New York City called Goldenwood NYC, and I support a missionary couple overseas. So find causes that you care about. Give to those causes. And then on top of finances, can you be generous with your time and talent? How are you investing into making better people? I feel like my job is an opportunity to give back. So I have a photography business and in my business, I really try to invest and mentor and make my photographers not just better photographers, but better business people and better humans. I do that for free without cost. I want my team to feel loved and cared for. So I do that not just in tithing, but almost as a way of life. And then what are creative ways that you can give back? So as you said, you're in a place where you're about to have more money financially. Great, good for you. Find ways that feel creative and exciting for you to give back. Maybe that has to do with your paycheck and I hope that you can find areas to give back financially. But what are other ways that you can be committed to being a generous person in every area of your life? You see, I think tithing is really just about being committed to being a person of generosity and being committed to believing that God is your provider. You see, I believe tithing is less about church attendance and more about a posture and lifestyle of generosity. So Heather, thank you so much for sending your question. I don't know if I could use the word generous any more times <laughs> than I have in these last few minutes, but I hope that was helpful. I hope it was supportive. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Ask Cat episode. I hope that you liked the way we did this new format using speakpipe.com. I loved hearing your voice. It honestly gave me so much more context 
for you and your questions. So if you want to be a part of the next Ask Cat series, you can go to speakpipe.com slash TRC and know that there is no question, no topic that is off limits. I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to be able to be in this with you and support you and serve you however I can. All right. Talk to you next week.